Welcome to the Lighthouse Community Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope today's teaching will encourage you in your faith and help you develop an increasing desire to walk with God. Let's listen in. I always love that music because it's like you feel like you're coming up and somebody cool is going to get there. And then it's like, good morning. (laughs) Yeah, you get me. Uh, Hey, uh, my name is Fritz. If we have not met before, I'm really glad you're here. And and I want to say this. If this is your first time, uh, I want to let you know something. It is normal uh, when you're here at Lighthouse for us to celebrate God for how great and awesome and mighty he is. It is normal for us to to dive into scripture to find out who is this God uh, who offers uh, this amazing gift of salvation to us. It is normal for us to pray together. It is normal for us to encourage one another and to grow as a family. And so if this is your very first time, thank you for joining us and being here. And everything you're experiencing, uh, this is what we do um, every single weekend. And so uh, I hope that you are experiencing God in a really clear way. Um, I wanted to also let you know a couple of things uh, that have been going on. Uh, Again, if you're new, we have bought about 11 acres of land on County Road 99. We are working towards building a new ministry center. Uh, As you look around, one of the reasons is exactly this. Um, We are running, uh, we're not running out of room, we have run out of room at this location, even across multiple services. And so one of the things we have been asking you as a family to pray for was this thing called the Lasco Grant, Um, and just asking you to pray about that opportunity. Well, we just got word back uh, last week that we have moved from phase one uh, into phase two. So we're into the next step. Yeah, we're in the next step of the Lasco Grant. That's an exciting thing. And so what does that mean? That we're in phase two. That's all. That's all it means. Uh, it doesn't mean that we are uh, receiving any kind of grant or assistance to build our worship center. Uh, it just means we're in phase two, and we get to submit more paperwork. So uh, pray for the team that's doing that and getting it all together. So if you would continue praying for that, um, that the Lord would guide that uh, every single step of the way, and uh, and we would trust Him uh, through that. The other thing that I wanted you to know is last Sunday, right here at Lighthouse Community. We know of at least three people who said yes to Jesus Christ for the very first time that they're following him. Yes. Yeah, that's exciting. So, uh, man, uh, it seems like that is just a regular occurrence in our church family, people hearing the gospel and saying yes to him by faith. And so really, really good stuff is going on. Uh, speaking of faith, as I was preparing for this teaching, um, I did what I always kind of committed I would never do as a preacher, um, but I did it anyway, so I'm sorry. Uh, I went and looked up the word faith in the dictionary, and that's how I'm starting my sermon, right? Uh, anytime you ever hear a sermon, and the preacher goes, you know, I looked up the definition of those words. You go, oh, okay, here we go. Um, but uh, I did. I looked up the definition of faith, and what caught me by surprise is that the common definition of faith in our culture in our time today is this. Belief that is not based on proof. That is how most people in our world and in our culture, especially in America, understand faith. That this is belief in something that is not based on proof. You cannot prove it. You can't, you're, it is not something that has substance. You are believing in something that is imaginary or just doesn't have any evidence to it at all. That faith is belief that is not based on proof. 
And at first I was kind of offended by that and going, well, that's, that's not the case at all. And yet the more that I began to think about that and how, the, how that plays out in everyday life, I started to think and realize that there are too many Christians in our world, in the state of Ohio, in Hancock County, even in this room, or maybe joining us online, that that is what your faith looks like. It is a belief without proof. It is a belief that is not based on evidence. And, and you think for your own life and you struggle with your own faith and, and walking with Jesus because there's no substance. You wrestle with the idea that am I a Christian? Am I not a Christian? Does God love me? Does God not love me? And I'm just not sure because your faith is not based on proof. Actually, it's only based on hope of what you think you maybe kind of heard a guy say one time, or maybe you remember hearing someone in a podcast. And so one of the reasons that we struggle so deeply in our faith is because it is not built on evidence, and it is not built on proof. And so we wrestle. And so today, what I want to do is I want to show you what faith in Christ really looks like and how to find healing in Jesus Christ. And so as Pastor Matt mentioned, if you brought a Bible, if you open up to Matthew chapter 9, Matthew's the first book in the New Testament, or you can click over there on your device if you got your phone or something like that, because we are continuing in this series called The Anointed One, uh, discovering my purpose in Jesus the Christ. We've been looking at Matthew starting in chapter 8. We're going to go through chapter 11 and just see who is this Jesus who Matthew is clearly making the point. He's not just a great teacher. He's not just a humanitarian. Um, he's not just a, a front runner in social activism. This guy is different. Actually, he's the long-awaited expected Messiah. And so before we jump into that, I want to take a moment to pray. So let's bow our heads and pray together. Father, my, my hope this morning is that you would lead us in clarity in truth, and that that would be, it, it would be dividing in the sense that it would divide fact from fiction. It would divide truth from misunderstanding, and that it would divide genuine faith from plain religion. And that today would be a day that there would be a line drawn in the sand of our hearts that actually would be etched into our minds, into our very beings, that for those of us who maybe have not crossed into it, today would be a day of freedom. Today would be a day of healing to step into real, genuine faith in Jesus Christ. I pray that your Holy Spirit would lead us to that place more than anything else. And we do ask these things through the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Okay, hey, we're looking at Matthew chapter 9. We're going to start... Uh, actually in verse 18 and read the next couple of passages, but it says this, uh, talking about Jesus, that while he was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, my daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him and so did his disciples. Just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. 
Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. And when Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and the people playing pipes, he said, go away. The girl is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. And after the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand and she got up. News of this spread throughout all that region. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. And when he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. And Jesus warned them sternly, see that no one knows about this, but they went out and spread the news about him all over that region. And while they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. And the crowd was amazed and said, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, it is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons." Now, this morning, what I want to do is I had thought about kind of picking apart each aspect of these accounts and the lives and what set that up and all those things that happened. And and what I was doing as I prayed and thought more about it, I just briefly want to share with you, there are four common aspects to all of these accounts of these people who came to Jesus and experienced healing. And then I want to talk about what that means for us. And so this first part, I'll go pretty quickly. But here's the first common aspect that all four of these accounts share together, right? Uh, The synagogue ruler, the woman suffering from bleeding, the two blind men, and the man who was demon-possessed. The first aspect is this. They each had a desperate need in their lives. All of them. A daughter who died, a hemorrhaging that could not be stopped for over a decade, two blind men, and a man who was demon-possessed who was unable to speak. They all had a desperate need. The second thing they shared in common is this. Somewhere along the lines, they heard that Jesus could help. Each one of them had heard that Jesus could help them. Not sure how word got to them, but it did. The third thing that all of these accounts have in common is they all believed that Jesus could help, and they acted on that faith. They all believed that Jesus could help. And so it led them to go. The synagogue ruler went to Jesus. The woman went, right? She like cut through all of the legal uh, requirements and the customs to go in Jesus' presence and to touch him. The blind men kept crying out, son of David, have mercy on us. And somebody brought the demon-possessed man who couldn't speak. They all believed that Jesus could help and they acted on that belief. And here's the fourth thing. Jesus healed them. All four of these accounts, Jesus healed them. The daughter was brought back to life. The woman was healed from her hemorrhaging. The blind men could see, and the demon-possessed man was set free, and he could begin to speak. Jesus healed them all. Now, those are the four common aspects that all of those accounts have together. And I think what's happening is with all of those accounts, all four of those are actually pointing to something larger, right? These are breadcrumbs, This is a shadow of the reality of that which is to come, and it's this, is that these physical healings that came from Christ were actually pointing 
to the complete healing that's only found in Christ. Okay, so these physical healings, a girl brought back to life, a woman uh, healed, uh, blind men being able to see, the demon possessed being set free and being able to speak, all of these physical healings were pointing to the true reality of complete healing in Christ. And so essentially what is happening is the visible was pointing to the invisible, The visible healings were pointing to the invisible healing that was going to come through Jesus Christ. And so you see the the girl raised, the woman, the two blind men, and the demon-possessed man are all visible signs that confirmed that God had sent Jesus on a greater mission to meet a greater need, which is reconciliation to God because of our sin. See, these were a setup to give credence, to give proof, to give evidence to the fact that when Jesus brought forgiveness for sin through his death and through his resurrection, that that was as real, more real than a blind man receiving his sight, than a dead girl being brought back to life. That had just happened. If you were here last week, you talked, Pastor uh, Pastor Matt shared with us uh, about the paralytic who was lowered down through the ceiling of a house. And if you remember, one of the first things Jesus said to that man is, your sins are forgiven. And the religious people all get excited and angry. Who is this? He's blaspheming. He's saying that he's God. I can't believe he would do this. I can't believe he would say this. And Jesus asked this question, what's easier to proclaim that sins are forgiven or to tell a paralyzed man to get up and walk? And the answer is, well, it's way easier to just say your sins are forgiven And so Jesus goes, and so that you know that the Son of Man has the power to forgive sins, he looks at that paralyzed man, he says, get up, take your mat, and go home. And the paralyzed man got up, (laughs) took his mat, and he went home. What was Jesus saying? I have the power to forgive sins. I have the power to meet that need. The visible was, excuse me, the invisible was confirmed by the visible. That's what happened. That's what's going on here. And so the point of these accounts is is not the healings themselves. Yes, Jesus can actually heal you of any disease, of any disability, of anything that's going on in your life. He has the capacity to do it. But what these accounts are really pointing to is what the healer has actually come to do. And that's where it crosses over into what does that mean for you and me? And I think what Matthew is helping us to see and helping us to understand is he is inviting us, he's inviting you, he's inviting me to rely on Jesus to heal your most desperate disease, which is sin. Matthew is inviting us to rely on Jesus to heal your most desperate disease, which is sin. And so that begs a whole host of questions, but the biggest one that comes to the front is like, well, how do I do that? How do I rely on Jesus to heal me from my most desperate disease? Well, the first thing is this, is you actually have to see your sin. You have to see your sin. You have to realize that that is the position that you're in, that you are a sinner, that you are a person who engages and lives in a lifestyle of sin. See, Paul wrote about this in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. And actually, I want to do this. Let's bring this verse up, and let's read this passage out loud together, starting with, here is a trustworthy saying. Are you ready? Go. 
Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save of who I am the worst. That's, Paul says that's why Jesus came. He came into the world. He says, by the way, this is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. The whole thing deserves to be accepted, and everybody should accept what this truth is. And the, and the starting point of this is that Jesus Christ came into the world to save who? Sinners. Sinners. Now, I think it's helpful for us to define this word sin. Because I think there are a lot of roaming thoughts out there about what sin is. And so I'm going to give you a really basic definition of what sin is, thinking about all of Scripture in its context. And here's what sin is. Sin simply is leading your life without God. Leading your life without God. Another way to say that would be rebellion against God's leadership in your life. Leading your life without God or rebellion against God's leadership in your life. See, that begins to change the framework of sin, because I think when a lot of uh, us think about the term sin, we think about things like lying, cheating, um, adultery, hurting other people, maybe murder, those types of things. We go, yes, that clearly is sin. That is wrong. That you know, Nobody should be doing those types of things. But that's when sin is only defined as like bad things, you know, or hurtful things or things that are against the law. When you begin to look at sin as leading your life without God, you begin to realize that sin actually expands out into other areas like this, setting your life's purpose without God's guidance in your life. And what I mean by that is you may have come to the place that the greatest thing I will do with my life is to accumulate a lot of wealth so that I can live a comfortable life and I can pass that comfort on to my family as well. If you've determined that that's the purpose of your life, you have chosen a purpose without God's leadership in your life, and that's sin. That is the essence of sin. Uh, Another way that that manifests is sin comes out is that trying to control yourself without God or trying to control and manipulate others. Because in those moments, you're trusting whose leadership? Your own. Your own. And not God's right? You begin to see that sin is simply making decisions without talking to God. Making decisions without seeing what the scripture has to say about that topic, that idea, that theme, that truth. You see, when you begin to realize that, you see that sin is so much wider than drinking, cheating, stealing, lying. Actually, sin begins to make its way into even the good things that you do. Because why am I doing this good thing? To be seen? To receive more power? To receive more respect? To receive more influence? So that people will follow me? People look well on me? See, sin is, sin is, sin is sneaky, man. It's very sneaky. And, and the reason this is so important to understand is that the result of the disease of sin is separation from God. And separation from God always results in death. Sin always results in death because it separates us from God. And it's so critical that you and I see our own sin because that's the starting place. Because you have to understand and know that Jesus did not heal people who thought that they were fine. 
Look in the Gospels. Jesus does not heal people who think they only need a small improvement. I just need some rough edges knocked off the side there, Jesus. That's all I need. There's, this, there's the account of a rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, follow the commandments. And he goes, I've done all that. I followed all of them. And Jesus goes, okay, uh, go ahead and sell everything that you have, give it to the poor, and then you can come and follow me. If you've heard that account, you know that that rich young man walked away. Because he's like, well, you're, you're asking me to give up security, my security. You're asking to give my, up my power. You're asking me to give up my influence. You're asking me to give up all of this stuff so that I can come and follow you. And he says, no. Even though he was living the good life. Right? Jesus touched right on that. Jesus didn't heal people who thought they were fine. When you look at this account that we just read, Jesus healed desperate people. Jesus healed people who knew that they were in trouble and they didn't have any other options out there. And the question that comes to me is, am I desperate for that kind of healing in my life? Like, am I really desperate, not just to survive for a few years, but to really live authentic, abundant life in Jesus Christ? Because that kind of level takes desperation. And the only way, the only way to truly see your sin, you've got to see your sin to get there. The only way you can see your sin is you look at God. See, sometimes people, they look at other sinful people And you know what that helps you to see? Their sin. And actually you begin to compare, well, I'm really not as bad as them, right? Oh, I'm a little bit worse than them, but they have other issues that they're not letting people know about, you know, things like that. Well, and and so when you begin to compare to other people, you go, I'm really not that bad. Well, you can't see your sin when you look at other sinful people. You can only truly see your sin when you look at God. Because when you look at God, You begin to see his glory and his holiness and his righteousness and his grace and his justice and his mercy and his wrath and all all of these things. And the best way to look at God is to simply read the Bible. To read the Bible and invite the Holy Spirit to open your eyes to who God is. And when you see God as he's revealed himself and who he really is, when you look upon him through the scriptures... You'll see your sin. You'll see the desperate state that you're in without him. And I want to tell you, when you see that, that's a gift. It is a gift to be able to see yourself in the light of God's holiness. Because that leads you to the next place. And the next place is this. If you're going to receive healing through Christ, it's this. You've got to rely on Jesus for healing. Right? The first is you've got to see your sin. The second is you've got to rely on Jesus for healing. You see, Jesus physically healed these people in these chapters, but they were pointing ahead to the ultimate, the ultimate healing of our sin, the ultimate healing of being separated from God. It's interesting that Matthew in verse 22, if you look back in that account, verse 22, it says that the woman believed if she could touch the edge of his cloak, she would be healed. And Jesus says, take heart, daughter, your faith has healed you. And then it says in that moment, she was healed. Every single time Matthew used the word heal, he's actually using the Greek word, which which is almost always exclusively translated in the New New Testament as saved. What's Matthew doing? It's an Easter egg. 
right? It's this little, it's this little hint that he's dropping, right? This woman thinks she's coming for physical healing and relief from that. Jesus is going to give her way more than what she's expecting, right? And what he's saying is the ultimate healing is rescue from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin, and one day in all of eternity from the very presence of sin. That's what Jesus ultimately came to bring healing to, right? That's, that's our deepest need. And so the way that you receive that healing is you rely on Jesus through faith, and so, right, we, we said before, faith is belief in something that doesn't have proof, but that's not how the Bible describes faith. Instead, the Bible describes faith as a strong confidence or a trust in Jesus. It's trusting that Jesus is who the, is who the Bible says he is and that Jesus has done what the Bible says he has done and that he can do what the Bible says he can do. That's what faith is according to the Bible. And so faith is not hope without proof. Rather, faith for the Christian is substance and evidence. It's substance and evidence. And so so for those who are seeking Christ, you actually, if you're going to step into real faith, you need substance. You need evidence for that. And where you find that is right here, the scriptures. The Bible, this is the evidence. This is the substance. This is the testimony for for literally thousands of years of the character and the work and the person of God. And so if you're going to believe, you have to believe in truth. You've got to believe in substance and evidence. And see, for too many of us, I remember my own journey when I first came to Christ, I only believed on what I knew for the moment where I had believed a guy who was teaching on a Thursday night told me that my sin separated me from God and the only way I could know God is to put my faith in Jesus Christ and that I could do that right then and there. And so that night I made a decision. I I put my faith in him based on the evidence that I had, which was that guy's testimony. Now, here's what happened for the next couple of years. Nobody told me that in order to grow, I needed to have more evidence and more substance. And so I lived for a little while based on that moment. And I struggled and I wrestled and I was wondering, am I, and I can't tell you how many times I got saved over like a nine month period, right? Like I was like, well, I didn't really say the sinner's prayer and I think you're supposed to do that. So then I tried to find that right before the internet. Like, you know how hard it is to find stuff without the internet. And so I like went and tried to find the sinner's prayer and I tried to make it up. You know, it's like, well, here's the right one and, and all this stuff. And so I tried to do all this stuff because my faith was based on one little nugget of evidence. Now it was enough to save me, but it wasn't enough for me to continue knowing who God is. I needed more evidence. And it wasn't until I started reading scripture to discover who God is that my faith began to revolutionize my life day in and day out. Why? Because now there was substance. Now there was evidence. And so you've got to have it. See, the New Testament views faith as this, belief married with knowledge. It's belief married with knowledge. Belief by itself is not enough. Knowledge by itself is not enough. It's actually both together. You've got to have belief in something that's true. And the Bible is truth. Think about this. Now, we all start somewhere, right? The synagogue ruler, the woman with bleeding, all of the accounts, they all started with the belief of the testimony that they had received about Jesus. But they acted on it, right? And so if you desire to put your faith in Jesus, or if you're wanting to grow in your faith, it starts with discovering who Jesus is from the Bible. 
seeing that Jesus is God in the flesh, seeing that Jesus lived the perfect human life in a sin-driven world, seeing that Jesus died as the perfect sacrifice for your rebellion against God, and that Jesus rose as the perfect first example of, the, of all those who would rise to resurrection afterwards. It starts with discovering who Jesus is, but it crosses over into a decision, and this actually might be the harder piece. The decision is this, to believe the testimony of the Bible, that it's true. And that what the Bible says is more right than what I think. And that when my values and the Bible's values are in conflict, I submit myself to the Bible instead of rationalize on why I don't have to listen or obey to what the scriptures say. That's the decision point. That's when faith becomes faith, right? That's real. That's legitimate. And so you've got to know, this is going to be a little bit shocking for some people. The biggest problem in your life is not the long-term disease that you're facing. That's not the biggest problem in your life. Your biggest problem is not a failing marriage. Your biggest problem is not kids who are running wild and rampant. Your biggest problem is not wondering what my next job's going to be. My finances are out of control. What's this thing, that thing? You know what your biggest problem is? Your sin. That is the biggest problem you will ever have in your life. Now, I'm not saying those other things don't matter. I'm just saying they're not the biggest and they're not the most important. That Jesus came to ultimately solve and heal you from the disease of sin. And when that happens, that will revolutionize your life and how you navigate your long-term disease, on how you navigate your marriage that is struggling and failing, on how you navigate kids who are going crazy, how you navigate your finances, which you're in over your head, uh, right? All those things. When you're healed from the disease of sin and you're trusting, right, the scriptures, your faith is built on substance that changes how you walk through those things. Here's the third part. That when you do, when you do rely on Jesus for healing from your sin, what ends up happening is you end up living healed. You end up living healed. And this is a whole new way of life. I want you to think about the ruler with the daughter, the woman with the hemorrhaging, the blind men, the demon-possessed man. Like, think about when they walked away from Jesus, do you think they went back to their old way of living? This guy had a daughter who was dead. That was going to change everything about his life. Can you imagine every time he looked at his daughter after that moment? Every time he looked in her eyes. You think about that woman? She lived in, She was excluded because of this bleeding that was uncontrolled. She couldn't go to dinner parties. She couldn't be around people, right? She was considered unclean. Now she's healed. Can you imagine how that changed her life? Can you imagine men who have spent their lives blind who can now see? Do you think they're going back to their old way of living and having people lead them around by the hand, begging by the gates for somebody to provide for them? Do you think a demon-possessed man who was unable to speak is going back to this. This guy is shouting from the rooftops. He's, he might have the worst voice in the world, but he's singing every song, even the Swifty songs, right? Like he's just letting them loose because he remembers when he couldn't talk. See, when Jesus shows up into your life, this is not fresh, this is not a fresh coat of paint on your old life or a tweaked version of religion. This is a whole new way of living. And that is actually what set off this whole series of events. If you go back to the Bible, look at Matthew chapter 9, verse 14. What sets off this whole thing is a conversation that says this. 
Then John's disciples came and asked him, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples don't fast? Here's what they're saying. We're doing religious stuff, man. You guys aren't. Why aren't you doing spiritual disciplines? Look what Jesus says. Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he's with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. Then he says this, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. You know what Jesus is saying? He's giving examples of dumb things that people just don't do, right? He's like, everybody knows if you have a ragged old piece of clothing, you don't put a new patch on it that's been unshrunk because it'll destroy it all. Everybody knows. Nobody does that dumb thing, right? Nobody does the dumb thing of pouring new wine into old wineskins because they're going to burst. It's obvious. It's dumb. Everybody knows you just don't do that. No new patches on old clothes. No new wine in old wineskins, right? You don't tug on Superman's cape. You don't spit into the wind. You don't pull the mask off the Lone Ranger's face. And you don't mess around with Jim, right? Like, okay. So everybody under 30, there was a song back in the... Uh, <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> All right, anyway. But there's, there's just... And, and so what Jesus is saying, it would be as equally dumb... To start a new religion. Why would you experience new life and take that into religion? That's dumb. Nobody does that. Jesus is offering a new garment. This is a new way of life. Jesus is saying faith is knowledge and action married together, and it comes out through belief. It's this reality that God has taken your debt, and he puts his Holy Spirit inside of you. Think about that. God's Spirit is in you. If you've said yes to him, like God's Spirit, you think God's Spirit is going to be contained by religion? You think God's Spirit is going to be contained by discipline? No, like God is going to transform your very desires. He's going to change your heart from the inside out. You've got to know that Jesus came to heal you. He didn't invite you into a less offensive form of your old life. A cleaned up version. This is new life a new way of living. And you've got to rely on Jesus to heal your most desperate disease. And to do that, you've got to see your sin. You've got to rely on Jesus only to heal you. And then from there, you live healed. All right? That's what it is. What I love about these accounts is Matthew clearly appoints appoints to people who are unnamed and unseen. But to me, they're some of the most critical people in the story. It's whoever went and told the synagogue ruler, I know a guy who could raise your daughter from the dead. It's the person who went to the woman who is suffering from hemorrhaging and says, I know a guy. I've heard what he can do. It's the guy who went and talked to the blind men and led them to the house that Jesus was in. It was the friend who brought the demon-possessed mute to Jesus and go, I've heard stories. I saw it once. I heard this guy can calm the storm 
in the seas. I heard what he did on the other side of the lake. I think he can do something for you. I think some of the heroes of this story, clearly the ultimate hero is Jesus. But some of the other people who Jesus used were the ones who told these desperate people where they could find help. And so what I would invite every one of us who are genuinely followers of Jesus Christ is tell others where they can find hope in Jesus. Tell others where they can find healing in Jesus Christ and invite them into it, right? Just uh, on Tuesday, our small group was gathering and we were working through the passage. And one of the things that we ended up doing is we started sharing stories of our lives before Christ, because some of us had come to faith later in life. Uh, And then some of us actually had come to faith really at a very young age. And so uh, we just started talking about, okay, what did our lives look like before Jesus? Not glorifying them or like joking around or laughing about them, but just saying, man, this was the things that we faced without Christ. And then the ones who had come to faith early, they began to talk about, well, I think if I didn't know who Jesus was, this is the direction that my life probably would have gone, knowing myself and my direction. And we started to think about all of the things that Jesus had saved us from, all of the things that Jesus had brought healing from in our past and our experience. And what began to happen around that table is you could begin to see the countenance of people around there, like kind of moving from this, you know, man, I remember that time in my life, or wow, what would have been, been like to live without Jesus? It then began to cross over into like eyebrows going up and eyes getting wider and smiles beginning to broaden to go, man, how great is it that we know Jesus? How awesome is it that he's still healing us? He's still moving in us. He's still transforming us through his Holy Spirit. And it broke out into gratitude and into thanksgiving and into worship. And I couldn't help but imagine what it would have been like for the woman who was healed every time she could show up to a dinner party and be in the presence of other people. She probably remembered Jesus made this happen. Every time the synagogue ruler played with his daughter or he got to watch her grow up and see her get married, I imagine he remembered, I get to experience this because of what Jesus did. Every time the blind men looked at a sunset and took in the beauty of God's creation, they remembered Jesus. Every bad note that demon-possessed mute sung in the future, he remembered Everybody else gets to enjoy my singing because of Jesus, right? But they would remember Jesus. And it caused me to go, every time I get to read the Bible and hear God speak to me, that's because Jesus. Every time I get to pray and share all of my concerns and all of my burdens with the creator of the universe, it's because of Jesus. Every time I sense the Holy Spirit convicting me of sin, it's because of Jesus. You see, people's, people who are desperate and have been transformed by Jesus, they end up living this very humble, grateful life because they realize everything that has been given to me from here on out is because of Jesus. It'll change you. And so my question is this, who, who will you tell that Jesus is the only way to be healed. And I'm not asking you to ask people to believe without proof. You are the proof. Your transformed life is the proof. The scriptures is, are the proof. 
And so invite people, not into, not into belief without evidence, but into real hope based on the truth of who God is as he's revealed himself. I want to invite you to bow your heads and to close your eyes and to ask Jesus this question we ask every single Sunday. Jesus, what are you saying to me right now through this message? And I'd like you to just take a moment and listen to him. Holy Spirit, my, my hope would be that right now, for those who are in Christ, that you would be reminding us. It, you would be actually moving our thoughts away from what do, what do I need to go do for God to prove that I was a good purchase for him? And instead, you would move our hearts and our minds to remember what Christ has already done for us and in us and let that fill our hearts with joy and gratitude and allow that to bubble up out of our lives into the lives of others. And the other thing I would pray, Holy Spirit, is for those who are here this morning who have who haven't gone into a new way of living. They've stepped into a tweaked form of religion. They've put a, a, a fresh coat of paint on an old way of living. They've just tried to tidy up the house instead of letting you demolish the old one and build a brand new one. I'm wondering if today would be a day where they would recognize, I believe that God is who he says he is, but I've not actually crossed into faith. I've not actually crossed into relying on him. I've not actually married knowledge with belief that plays out into action every single day. And that today would be a day wooed by the person of the Holy Spirit into real, genuine faith in Christ. I pray today would be that day. As you're staying in a mode of prayer, I want to let you know that we have leaders who are beginning to move right now to the corners of the rooms to be available to pray with you about any area of your life, any area at all. And, and even if this is your very first time, you don't have to be embarrassed to want to receive prayer at Lighthouse Community. We have people who are trained and ready to pray with you about any area of life because we all need prayer, right? You, you know you need prayer. I, ne I need prayer. Pastor Matt needs prayer. Every single one of us needs prayer. Please don't be embarrassed. But what's going to happen is the band's going to lead us in one more song. And during that song, you can head out of your seat and go to one of the corners and share your prayer requests with that person. And they would love to pray with you today. So I'm going to ask you, if you're here in the house, let's stand together. I'm going to pray for you, and then I'm going to invite you to come as well. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would draw every single person who needs prayer right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Lighthouse Community, check out our website at mylighthousecommunity.com or connect with us on Facebook. 
You're invited to join us live Sunday mornings at 909 or 1111. Thanks again for listening to the Lighthouse Community Podcast.